The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You are listening to 88.9 FM KUCI, broadcasting live on the campus of UC Irvine. Good morning. You're listening to Ask a Leader, and I'm your hostess, Claudia Shambaugh, in my June 19th, 2012 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, it's about the media, folks. We're going to cover a very thoughtful examination of the relationship between youth learning and the digital media with UCI professor in residence and anthropologist, Dr. Mimi Ito. And the second half of the show, it's time we commemorate what soon will be the centennial for Santa Ana High School's newspaper, The Generator. We'll be talking to the editor-in-chief, Candy Rosas, and uh, any feature writers that she's going to bring along. It's going to be a treat. We'll be back with these two illustrious guests and more after a brief interlude, so don't go away. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. Today, uh, we'll start with Dr. Mimi Ito, a cultural anthropologist of technology use examining children and youth's changing relationships to media and communications, where she is currently professor in residence at the University of California. She has led a three-year collaborative ethnographic study funded by the MacArthur Foundation, with whom she's just met. She just barely made it back uh, to the radio interview to be with us today. So she's been with this uh, funded study. She's been examining youth new media practices in the U.S. and focusing on gaming, digital media production, and internet use. The finding of this project are reported in her book that's been out since just about 2010. It's called Hanging Out, Messing Around and Geeking Out, Youth Living and Learning with New Media. It's published by the MIT Press. So 23 case studies and 28 collaborations later, she is here to put it into a special and learned context with what's going on with 12 to 18-year-olds engaged in digital media. Welcome, Professor Mimi Ito, to Ask a Leader. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad before, right after your foundation, your MacArthur Foundation meeting, and right before you're off to Japan, you're going to be with us. It's a very exclusive feeling. I want you to know that. So, <laughs> so Professor Mimi Ito, amidst the rapid, the dizzying pace of the evolutionary process of digital media over the last decade, would you tell us how you first got involved in investigating young people's media practices or their connected learning, as you've been calling it lately. Yeah, so I have been uh, looking at uh, new media um, as it's evolved over the past two decades, you know, starting with early Internet media and video games, and have increasingly been interested in the ways in which uh, young people have been taking these uh, technologies up to further their social connection and their learning. Um, as I was participating online and trying to understand uh, the kinds of things that captivated young people's attention, I became more and more aware of the fact that um, 
we were living through this time where so much of um, not just uh, social relationships, but also knowledge and learning were migrating to these more kind of informal networks uh, that young people were accessing in their social and recreational lives. And that's what's really brought me to the focus of my work today. And there's so there's so many realms to cover. You talk in your book about the fact that learning is occurring in the settings of peer-based interactions, that there's, there's more than peer pressure. Uh, for, uh, so for those that are still a bit skeptical about the productivity of this engagement, could you talk about the depth or the quality of this engagement that you're finding? Yeah, what we found was that, you know, as you say, there's a pretty persistent uh, generation gap in how young people and uh, older generations, parents and teachers in particular, view the value of online participation, where young people really see the online world as their lifeline, not just to social connection, but to knowledge and information. Yeah, it looks like oxygen and carbohydrates and everything. (laughs) Right. Uh, whereas adults tend to see their role as monitoring and limiting uh, screen time and tend to see those um, activities as uh, not productive for learning. What we found was that, um, in fact, young people were learning a tremendous amount through online participation, which ranged from, you know, just basic technical literacy, social skills, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, skills that are just necessary to be a uh, you know, productive and uh, effective participant in the 21st century uh, knowledge economy. Um, so that was tremendously important. But we did find that it was only a minority of young people who were really taking to these same technologies uh, in ways that really furthered their learning and expertise. Uh, so most young people were really doing the kinds of things that are pretty familiar from cafeterias and locker rooms and hallways at school, hanging out with their friends, uh, flirting, uh, worrying about popularity and status in their peer group. Um, But some kids were really reaching out to new kinds of uh, communities, uh, networks that were about pursuing a passionate interest, getting really good at something, uh, getting civically engaged, mobilizing online. And that was uh, the population that we really thought was demonstrating the potential that was largely untapped for most young people for how these new technologies could further learning in new ways. And that's where you give some really extraordinary case studies in how that this peer-based uh, learning and interaction is improving. It's improving literacy. It's improving uh, sociability, and it's giving them this platform uh, for uh, those uh, students that are really applying themselves. A platform for them to share what they're learning and and you know bring their peers up. Uh, upping the game for uh, for their peers in case. And so, um, and we, let's talk, for those of you who've just joined us, we're talking on Ask a Leader, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming to you live on the web at KUCI.org. My guest is Dr. Mimi Ito, cultural anthropologist at UC Irvine, and the author of Hanging Out, Messing Around, and Geeking Out, Kids Living and Learning with New Media. So there are, um, as I said, there are case studies, but... What we have here is there's there's my digital media going off in the background here. So I, what we, you talk about um, in your title itself, you're breaking down the kind of level of engagement, and I'd like for you to tell the listeners, maybe the uninitiated, what is meant first by the um, first first hanging out, what's meant by that, messing around and geeking out as they are sort of increasing levels of application and engagement in digital media. 
Sure. Uh, so, yeah, what we found is that um, it was really important that we start to understand that not all young people uh, use new media in the same ways, and even the same young people have different ways or genres uh, through which they engage with digital media, and some of them have different learning dynamics. So the majority of young people and probably the majority of time that young people are spending online is in what we call a friendship-driven mode where they're hanging out with their friends uh, that are largely the same friends that they know in their communities and schools. Uh, and this is Facebook, and uh, when we were doing our research, MySpace was still in the picture instant messaging. Now it's mostly text messaging, but it's really replicating those kinds of teen activities that are pretty familiar, uh, but really important uh, part of growing up and uh, being with friends and understanding your place in that world. We found, though, what was interesting about the online world is because it's happening in this technical environment that young people often jumped off from that kind of hanging out behavior into what we called messing around with technology, tinkering, experimenting. Uh, an example is um, modifying a MySpace profile or digital photos, um, editing online video. These are things that young people are developing fairly sophisticated forms of technical and media literacy just as an outgrowth of their immersion in these social online worlds. Um, and then the last genre that we looked at, which was called geeking out, was when really kids started to immerse themselves in these online environments, communities um, that were really pushing um, and focusing towards knowledge and expertise and focused on really developing reputation and publicity and getting good at something. So, you know, these are the kids who uh, might get really involved in fan fiction or um, some form of digital media production, might have their own YouTube channel or start a Facebook group around a cause. And for these young people, the online world opened up a whole new set of opportunities uh, for connection and for getting feedback on their work and accessing other uh, young people and experts in their area of passionate interest. As you mentioned, uh, one case study is you're talking to this Andy May expert, and he he's got panels and tab, uh, you know, laptops, desktops all going on, and he's uh, investigating this all. And he puts in eight hours a day when he's not doing these his other tasks, and uh, and in the process, bringing his peers along with what's going on in the super latest developments in Andy May. It's a it's an extraordinary case study, and there's many more for for readers to. Pick pick up in your book. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the things that uh, we really know from uh, learning theory is the fact that uh, the most motivating and resilient and immersive forms of learning are the kinds of learning that uh, young people can do in a self-directed way when they have peers and a lot of social engagement and support around the learning. Yes. Uh, and that's why, you know, the, you know, something like Facebook is so engaging because the social context drives engagement. But when that social context starts uh, you know, being a motivator for learning that's driven towards expertise and knowledge, it can be a huge driver uh, for these more expert-oriented communities. So we see the Facebook is sort of where, I guess the transition is, the Facebook for the hanging out, and then there can be a sort of a transition into the messing around where they're, the Facebook is leading to what's what was the homework that they missed or the instructions that they missed? Or maybe, uh, and, and you talk about then the, as sort of the, um, the, the random, um, I'm trying to think of what here in the book you talk about, the random um, uh, possibilities, the uh, exploring, um, I'm trying to, I can't, 
have to find out where I put, picked that up in the text here. But that it's, um, oh yes, you call it some, the literary, uh, do, 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 um, oh my goodness, it was such a beautiful expression. I'm going to find out what we're talking here. But uh, a literary pickup, pickup line. So um, I want to take care of this. So there are ways though in which they are able then to um, transition out of that more, um, we'll call it the uh, the more vapid kind of hanging out kind of uh, engagement into a more uh, inter a more social connection, more a deeper learning with um, you know taking up beyond the assignments and then and randomly looking up the topics. You talk about that how uh, there that this once the student the youth has a greater literacy with their coming to um, looking up topics, they can understand how the internet is anticipating where they're going to be navigating on the internet. And so the the improved media literate participant is able to sort of anticipate where they're being guided and they're, they're getting better and better at honing in on what it is they'd like to be learning. I think that's right. Um, you know, what's really game-changing about online networks is that uh, it increases the discoverability of a lot of new yes. interests and knowledge, um, and it also, uh, you know, it just lowers the barriers to access for kids who want to go deeper and have, um, you know, more specialized interests that they want to pursue in a self-directed way. Uh, so, you know, when you have online forums and Q&A um, uh, forums, you have instructional mm -hmm. vid videos of any kind, tutorials. Um, it's really easy for kids just to look around online, um, find things. They might see things in their friends' Facebook profiles or interest listings. Um, and it's really easy to um, take a quick look around without making a huge investment like having to join a club or an after-school program or summer camp. Um, so it facilitates that early exploration, and then when kids are captivated by something, um, you know, often they need a lot of support and encouragement. It's very rare that somebody can just pursue an interest all by themselves. Um, and in the pre-internet days, kids were very dependent on their local communities, their schools, uh, their parents to provide that support structure. But now um, you can go online and find a social community surrounding almost any interest imaginable. And this is what's very reassuring in your research about those possibilities. I mean, so many of us are exposed to, uh, what, like I was saying, about the hanging out aspect. And, and I also think of the really analog uh, sort of example of the sort of in isolation, what one used to be uh, the, those, um, the technologically curious, they'd work on taking apart an old radio and learning how to put it back together again. They did that in total isolation. But now we have, as I said that in that case study, the Annie May expert who can really hook up with everybody and, and further develop this uh, in the fertile setting that the digital media provides. I think that's right. Um, you know, that it's, um, it's very difficult for, you know, whether it's a school or a parent to be able to deliver that kind of um, support and community and resources for the, in, you know, the really diverse interests that young people will develop. I think um, what we need to do a lot more of as parents and educators, though, is to take a proactive role in, yes. you know, finding those valuable experiences online, not being afraid of a certain amount of exploration, um, trying to understand the differences and how young 
people are engaging with online resources and encouraging them to take up those opportunities that are really going to further um, interests that lead to academic, civic, um, and career-relevant kinds of um, opportunities. Well, Mimi, we know that uh, you have your own. We know about your 14-year-old. And so if you don't mind making an example, make yourself a case study about how you've uh, yourself have participated in engaging your children in uh, a f- the fertile aspects of navigating this digital media. Right, right. Well, as a parent, you know, it's uh, it's always challenging because, um, you know, I think uh, young people, one of the great things about having teenagers is that they throw new challenges and um, new learning opportunities at parents. But I think, um, you know, my own stance of a, as a parent is that um, what digital media offers is a tremendous opportunity for parents to learn from their kids. Um, it opens up um, new kinds of uh, ways of connecting where um, both parents um, and kids are bringing expertise to the table because often it's the young people who are really immersing themselves in these new worlds and developing expertise um, and doing the exploration that often uh, the older generation isn't as immersed in. So I think, um, you know, that's uh, one of the challenges, but also one of the joys of raising teenagers in today's digital world. Well, I'm, I'm glad you can put that on there because, as I said, it, the inverse seems to be the the uh, preponderance of, uh, of the adult experience. And so I, for those who have just joined us, we have the treat and delight of in between her MacArthur Foundation meeting and travel to Japan, we have Professor Mimi Ito, anthropologist at UCI, here on Ask a Leader, talking about her book, Hanging Out, Messing Around, and Geeking Out, Kids Living and Learning with New Media. And we're talking specifically now about the sort of intergenerational participation in engagement in digital media. And uh, you've you know, embarked on more research on what the gap in literacies and participation skills means. You're looking over the whole realms of of gender, of race, of of culture, and uh, and that kind of a thing. Um, and you're looking at some of the, the what those mean in terms of barriers uh, to uh, these uh, an engagement. So, what are you finding is one way? Uh, where maybe there is a, a literacy issue, maybe due to uh, income level, because it is different in households in lower income level. There's, uh, as you say, students are not having uh, connectivity at home. They're going to a library or some other place. Uh, so, how are those barriers being negotiated? Then, what's the what's the yield um, with the, or the outcome, I should say, uh, of uh, overcoming that barrier? Yeah, I think uh, you know what we're seeing with the opportunities for learning with new media are, you know, in a lot of ways, sadly replicating the same kinds of uh, social differences that we've seen in education for generations. So, um, you know, the, the, when we did our research in the Digital Youth Project, we saw a tremendous opportunity for new kinds of uh, activated learning opportunities, but we found that it was really only a small minority of young people who were taking advantage of those opportunities. And mm. those young people were either those kids who were um, 
really passionate about an interest and very resourceful. So these are those self-activated learners that are going to find ways of doing amazing, interesting things no matter what. And then the other kind of kid was one that was very well supported at home who came from households that were digitally savvy. Um, right. That's a huge role. Creative class families. And it's not just about the technology access, but it's about that whole orientation towards learning to supporting kids' interests that we see in highly enriched rich households that are very oriented towards supporting young people's interests. Um, when we're in a situation where the public school system is, especially uh, those schools that are serving lower income families, have fewer and fewer resources for an enriched curriculum, that divide is getting even worse. And then exacerbating oh. that is the fact that often schools limit access to precisely those forms of social and digital media that support young people's self-directed and interest-driven learning. And so that orientation towards the stripped-down curriculum, um, a back-to-basics focus on school accountability means that those young people who don't have that kind of enriched out-of-school curriculum at home are doubly penalized. Well, you know, an analogy comes to mind that it's sort of um, a parallel to sex education, isn't it? Where the more tools you're given at home, the more you're understanding. And if you're limited to what uh, is increasingly uh, restricted because of uh, concerns about liabilities in the minds of the policymakers in the public education, then there are fewer tools in terms of navigating um, the uh, sexual uh, realm, just like navigating uh, digital media. Could, would that be a fair analogy? Well, I, I definitely think it's an issue about whether, you know, there's adult engagement support uh, for, you know, whatever the kind of learning and skills and competencies that young people want to develop, whether that's in home or out of um, in home or in school, there there has to be some kind of um, you know set of adult intergenerational supporting relationships to uh, guide young people's learning. And because there's um, the young people who are doing really well and getting ahead in life are taking advantage of these much more self-directed and demand-driven forms of learning. Um, the question is, where are the kids who don't have? those supports at home, getting that kind of guidance. Okay, that's an important theme here. Um, I I know that you had just recently come out of your John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur uh, Foundation meeting uh, on the Foundation on Digital Media. Uh, is there any kind of uh, fast-breaking news you can share with our intimate Ask a Leader audience? <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, we're just... Um, you know, been moving forward um, in a pretty deliberative and um, way for a while in, um, you know, pursuing not just the research, but also uh, an effort to put these ideas in practice uh, in um, uh, a set of, you know, demonstration sites in schools and libraries and in uh, museums and uh, you know, through a really fantastic network of partners. And that's what's really exciting about uh, working with uh, the MacArthur Foundation and the Digital Media and Learning Initiative is that it's not just about the research, but it's really an effort to uh, work with uh, practitioners and technology designers and young people to see if we can uh, support the kind of learning that we think is, um, you know, most taking advantage of these opportunities that new media offer us. 
And as you talk, as we wrap this up, this portion of the hour, the interview, that there are structurally now, because of, of the digital media literacy, there is a a, a larger share of that uh, consumed and uh, known uh, by the younger the younger cohort, the the youth, and they're outpacing our um, the uh, the adults and the educators in this literacy. However, you do make a point in your book that there still is a um, a persistent sort of cultural aspect going on where we do have a role. We do uh, there are uh, certain aspects that we're able to confer on uh, on our youth and the students uh, in uh, with this kind of it's a bottom up kind of uh, aspect of of uh, engagement in the digital media and so um, I'm I'm encouraged that you're saying despite the dizzying uh, evolution of digital media that we're we're at this point there still is the the, the cultural sort of predominance in uh, our still having some kind of a role in <laughs> in getting a little bit in front of um, you know uh, nurturing and acculturating our our children and our students I think that's right. I think that the intergenerational connection is absolutely critical for young people and adults to be able to come together on some of these issues. Uh, A lot of my earlier work was really from a very youth-centered perspective, understanding the kinds of amazing and activated things kids were doing online and with uh, digital media production and games. Uh, Our current work is really focused on advocating for this model of what we're calling connected learning, which is to say, how can we meet kids where they are in terms of their interests and engagements and connect that to academic subjects, to career opportunities, and civic and political engagement. And that's where I think our real hard work is and also where, um, you know, we have the potential to really transform education. That's the theme. That's the no we can leave it on. It's an essential piece of that. And and you have so much out there on the media that uh, listeners can go to to hear how you've interacted with educators, uh, librarians uh, around not just our region, but around the country, and I imagine around the world. I haven't gotten to those yet. But uh, and more information uh, listeners can get by going to the web at www.etofisher.com forward slash mito. Uh, and I'll put that on the podcast so people can go check it out. And so just check, just Google up Mimi Ito and you'll you'll find an enormous uh, array of of forums that you can follow um, what richness this realm is and what she's been researching and give us hope for uh, not a candy, a cotton candy kind of uh, hefty serving, but uh, th- there's getting to be more legumes. There's there's uh, some ch- chopped liver and, <laughs> and more that, uh, to bring uh, our young people uh, into a richer a developing human being from their kind of engagement in the connected learning of digital media. Mimi Ito, that's all the time that we have. I want to thank you for hanging out with us. Maybe we were messing around a little bit uh, on Ask a Leader on this quaint and vintage medium today. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm I'm glad. I hope you'll uh, join us uh, later on before maybe your residency here at UCI concludes and uh, post us on uh, newer developments because this is a dizzying pace as we're talking about. Thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. We'll be back um, after uh, 
this interview here, as I said, with Professor Mimi Ito, John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation Chair uh, in Digital and uh, Media Learning. And we'll be right back after a station break to hear from Santa Ana High School's editor-in-chief. That would be Candy Rosas. But before we do that, we're going to take this interlude here with a little uh, apropos music. Enjoy. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Thank you for joining us back at Ask a Leader for the second half. We are going to do a tribute to the soon-to-be centennial of the Santa Ana High School newspaper, The Generator. Folks, this is where it's happening on Ask a Leader, but when we're not paying attention, there's something that's been going on for almost 100 years. Joining me in Studio A is first the recently graduated senior and the Generator's editor-in-chief, Candy Rosas, and along with her are future writers, Genesis Casas, she'll be a senior next year, and Paola Lopez, she will also be a senior. They joined me, as I said, in Studio A. Uh, their, um, I want to say Candy Rosas, her favorite subject uh, at the historic Santa Ana High School is English literature. She was the president of the school's marching band and was active as in, uh, in uh, well, in the freshman mentor program. She'll be attending Cal Poly Pomona in the fall with plans to major in English. She, like Genesis and Paula, they're all three making their radio debut today with us on Ask a Leader. So we want to welcome you, Candy, Paula, and Genesis on the show. Thank you for having us. It's good to have you here on this very special morning. You're, you already got the uh, big senior, the graduation uh, ceremony and the, the grad night, all that. You're all refreshed and slept, rested up from that. Congratulations, Candy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Get really close to the microphone so everybody can hear every word that you have to say because they've never heard you before. Okay. Fine. Well, we, as we were saying, this is a, a tribute uh, program about the generator there. And so they've had so many things to cover. There, Let's talk first about the coverage of the 100 years on Walnut, since Santa Ana is the most historic high school here in Orange County. Would you like to give us some highlights about your coverage of 100 years on Walnut, Candy Rosas? Well, we had many sponsors through the, um, through the car show, and they brought in many antique cars that they, that um, really represented the, the older decades of the time as well as um, our dance team. We, they paid special tribute to each era, so the 30s, the 40s. They did special dances as well. Um, it's become now something much bigger than what it used to be 100 years ago. It was started, and it has grown a lot since then. We've had more programs join in with the marching band, jazz band, mariachi, um, dance team, and JROTC. And it has developed into something amazing that many people can come in. It's not just for the school. It is also for the community. The community can stop by, help out some of the clubs. Um, we had um, the 
painting um the the painting club um they did um small designs on people's faces they did face painting um as well as i believe uh bsu did or another and what does that stand for uh black student Union. of course of course and um they participated in it as well we did um tie-dyes for people to help fundraise money for these clubs that were in some desperate need of some money because without the funds we can't keep the clubs that we want to keep in santa ana and that's a challenge because those the pocketbooks in Santa Ana High School's uh, catchment area are a little bit different than other parts of Orange County. So this means a lot for the, what you're able to raise, and it's matching, uh, contributing toward uh, already depleted two teachers' um, uh, resources, uh, out-of-pocket resources to keep those programs going that are so important for students to get really good leadership skills together, like what you were getting on the have been getting on the generator. Yeah, exactly. Um, by keeping these. Um by doing um, 100 years on Walnut as well, um, with that having, with that having um, arts on arts on Walnut, um, which is the big f- small festival that we did for the community as well as for the students, um, raising that money meant a lot to not only the students to continue having their leadership opportunities, as well as um, encouraging their community to keep to keep going um, in their. I guess you could say daily struggles to just um, be open about themselves and also help out the teachers to so the students could know that the teachers are right behind them, right with them, and always trying to help them in whatever life throws at them. So this is a lovely continuation after what we were talking about in the first half, connected learning. This is connected living and the sort of the analog of, of uh, developing career skills, uh, professional skills, uh, civil skills, and political skills going on there. Well, you um, there's so much that you did with that coverage, uh, unlike what any other uh, school district can because of how of the longevity of the high school. There's also, um, you've done, all three of you had a, an aspect of covering Occupy Orange County. We covered that a little bit on the radio show at various times along the way. So would each one of you, Genesis and Paola, talk a bit about what you had to say. Uh, we'll talk about Occupy Orange County first, and then I'd like to have you talk a little bit next about maybe your very favorite features that you've done. So Genesis, what would you say um, what was a part of the Occupy Orange County that you were contributing to in, at the generator in Santa Ana High School? I remember that I was like, I had to like review the story and the pictures. And like I saw the pictures of the protests going on in Santa Ana, going on in Santa Ana and seeing like some of our students there and everything. And I thought it was like really amazing that we are able to like teach our um, school community about this and let them know what's going on in the world and everything. And like, because it's something that they need to know. And, well, and Santa Ana, like the rest of us, are, most all of us are a part of that 99% that Occupy Orange County, Occupy Everybody uh, has taken up. So did you notice, Genesis, were, were your uh, articles, your coverage, did they have something to, uh, did you, were you able to reach to your readers and they became more curious as a result and more perhaps connected and uh, involved yeah, because I knew some people. Um, they have, um, they said that they have heard about Occupy before we published the article, but they okay. didn't. But they didn't know exactly what was really going on. Cause news, the if you watch the news, they don't really say much about it. And we were able to actually like, um, teach them what it really was. Excellent. And, 
So that so thanks to your coverage, you were able to raise the your peers' awareness about this very important political discussion going on, not just in Orange County, not just in the region or nation, but internationally. And did do you, uh, Paola? Do you think that the students? were able to see their connection between uh, their individual experience and all the way to the global in how you were covering this? Yes, like Genesis was saying, um, we were able to communicate the information to the students and in class, they were asking, oh, what's this, what's that? And we were able to tell them, us ourselves, we were informed before then. So it was our job to communicate to them. And right after that, they actually walked over there and see what was going on and I got feedback from there. Um, they were really interested in the movement and to contribute to it. Well, I have to tell you how proud I am of all of you for activating your own talents and g giving your own time so that your peers actually could never be the same because of the exposure that you availed them in this very important movement. So I, I really, really applaud you and I, I think you learned how it's very easy to get involved, and it's it's really it's it's painless to to get involved. It takes a little more it's a little more struggle to stay involved and uh, try to sort of pull up others along with you and your activism. But I just I, I mean you've made a real difference, and I think you're telling us that you you can tell you can feel that. For those of you who've just joined us, you're still listening to Ask a Leader here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are also, you can stream us live, and I hope that Candy, Paula, and Genesis friends are streaming us live if they can't get the radio. Hi there. Shout out to all you Santa Ana High School kiddos. Um, this is their uh, radio debut, and um, on Ask a Leader today, with um, we're giving a tribute to the almost 100-year-old newspaper at Santa Ana High School, The Generator. We're talking about the features, and there was just one other feature, too, I want to mention as before we go into Paola and Genesis, some of their favorite special pieces. There was the Bill Medley, uh, the Righteous Brothers founder, uh, his whole contribution with a recent fundraising of $23,000, which is a lot of cash here, folks, and uh, he, for the dollars for scholars. So does maybe one of you can let me know who'd like to take up covering that event and how many students you're able to activate and show them the importance of their uh, developing their fundraising capacities to, to bring more resources to the school. It looks like Candy has something to say about that. Okay. Um, well, the the um, the auditorium that that we dedicated to Bill Medley, we we had dedicated to him already, but we did a rededication to him, and that was celebrated in a big way. We had a concert with him singing, um, as well as um, it was not only his spotlight, but as well some of our other groups performed in it as well. So to not just have a big star power, but also have the community um, join in. Uh, tickets were about, I believe, $20 to enjoy the show. And we had jazz band, um, jazz band helping out, um, doing ushering. We had um, mariachi helping out with um, ticket sales. And it was, it was really a big school fundraiser for all of our students to, to receive some amount of money. And the, um, through the Dollars for Scholars, um, we raised a lot of money, and at Senior Awards Night, 
um, that money was distributed out to some of our students for dance, for for journalism as well, um, for any visual performing arts program that um, we know that Bill Medley is so engaged upon. And so through that program, we raised a lot of money and were able to give out a lot of scholarships that were really needed for our students to keep going into higher education because we're in a low income um, base place. Um, we don't have all the resources that we that we would like to have in order to continue this higher education that um, we know we desperately need in order to succeed. And through um, through the performance that Bill Medley gave, mm-hmm. he um, he really helped out a lot of our students that needed just that extra bit of money for that one textbook or for that um, one resource that they needed, just that little push to help us and for um, for us to know that he really does care about the school, that and, he always gives back. And I, uh, not to interrupt and talk over Candy, but Bill Medley, the reason we bring him up is because he is alumni from Santa Ana. I don't, did he tell you how many years ago? Oh, uh, no, he did not. It's probably at least 35 years, if not 40 years ago, I'm thinking. But anyway, that's why we bring him up at all, folks. Not to, not for the money, but for his connection, which is really important. So uh, I don't know if, uh, if Paola or Genesis would like to talk about a feature that most intrigued you, uh, drew you to this journalistic career here at the Generator at Santa Ana High School. This is Paula. I had a column, well, article that we did every um, issue. It was a Saint Say, where we asked couple saints, couple saints the same question, and what intrigued me was their different answers, how everybody has a different opinion about the same thing and everybody's different everybody has a different personality let's hear some questions asked those saints uh, which this, is the mascot at santa yes, Ana. this last one we asked should saints go to prom with or without a date all right yeah and into the social uh, realm so what did they uh, what was the range of answers some people said that they said it was better to go alone because you didn't have to spend the money some answers that I liked was um, they didn't have to wait for their prom date to get ready <laughs> and the picture they didn't like pictures or somebody else said that it was better to go with the date because they didn't want to stand like a loner at the refreshments table so that's a range mm-hmm. oh I, I do like that and so maybe some people uh, would maybe do things differently because of your your con- your journalistic contribution about how one can negotiate that kind of social realm on their own terms and feel just terrific about it with that kind of validation you provided fellow readers. So Genesis, do you have a feature that you would like to tell us about in uh, at the generator that we're commemorating today? My favorite article was probably the um, 100 Years on Walnut. Yes. Because um, you were able to go out and see all the talent that we have at the school, all the art and the paintings and everything that they were like, they were amazing. And your book also did like um, this project where they have like pictures of like like photos from your books from like all the way back to like the 40s or 30s. And it was like it was really cool to see how like through each era we changed. Oh, yes. I was going to ask. They probably look a little bit different. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, Although it was also really cool to see like maybe some of the same styles are like coming back or like or like are in right now. Like I I saw that the skinny jeans were like a trend back then and now they're back. 
Yeah, I think that might those might have been like the late 60s or something like that. But uh, yes, that's interesting. You can see demographics changes coming through in the in the hundred years coverage that you're talking about in in the media, the the yearbooks and the and the paper and. I'm not sure what other kinds of archives that you had. The um, the drawings that were there that you can see the talent in our students because it's like some of the drawings they looked real, and like the paintings, like all of the like we had pop art for, I think it was the '60s. That yes. was like it was like really amazing to see because it's like our students did that, and it's like you have no idea how they did it, and it's like it just looks amazing. Now, uh, we're going to want to know at another time when you could come on Ask a Leader, we'll ask in some depth where we can follow uh, those events. And I'd like for the next time there's a large fundraiser for the seniors that are here in the studio that you let us know in advance so we can interview you about the upcoming events so we can give you some media support to drum up more attendance and that kind of a thing. Well, there is a your uh, mentor, uh, Mrs. Teal, uh, with whom I'm, I know a little bit uh, uh, socially, she was talking about some very interesting aspects of what subjects are not permitted in your journalistic coverage. There's, Although these subjects are alive, and I'm going to say well, but alive and looming over your everyday lives, there's there's teenage pregnancy issues, and there, uh, there are some kinds of altercations that... Um, some gang-related things going on there. So uh, you have to be very um, circumspect about exactly how you uh, would cover that. I want you, either any the three of you, to talk about the, the day in the life of the teenage mother. I guess you were able to cover an article about how a teenage mother logged in her 24 hours of what it was like, her experience as a mother. Did any of the three of you contribute to that? Candy? Um, that story was done about two years ago. Yes. And um, and you were on the staff at that time. I actually was not, but okay. I was able to read the story. Okay. Will you please cover that? It's so important for all of us to hear about how that was done. And we basically, we didn't log it as a teen pregnancy. We logged it as the day in a life of a, of a saint. And we basically had her go through her day through day struggles and try to make it as as normal as we could so we would not get censored for it. Okay. So um, the day in a life of just really simple, basic things that we don't think about, but once that student was pregnant, it became extremely difficult. And also the, the obvious ridicule that comes with um, being a teenager, but even more so being a pregnant teenager, and the bullying that goes on with it, and just this... The, the um, social trauma, I guess you could say, that goes along with it because um, we tend, well, at, at school we have a lot of, well, not a lot, but um, there are some um, teenagers that are pregnant and we see it as not not a norm, but we are used to it. And so we want to change that and bring awareness to that. Um, through the through that article and through that article I I learned that um, it was really hard to be um, a teenage mother um, for the simple aspect of wanting to enjoy your life as a teenager and wanting to be um, more active and not being able to and having those people that were once so your best friends and whatnot and just simply turn on you because of something 
so so simple, I guess you could say. Well, that was a that was a huge contribution that the paper could make in giving eyes on that life radically changed by becoming an adult quickly, being a parent. So I um, we haven't much time left. I I want to say that we have a Genesis. Casas is a senior, so she'll be she'll be returning to the generator next year. Her her interests are reading, and we and Paula Lopez will also be a senior returning to the to the generator as well, at the high school. Both of you will be on the staff next year. Uh, her interests are baking. She's telling me, and so we uh, we want to uh, first we want to give wish you every success in next year where you take yourselves and we want to uh, wish Candy Rosas again a congratulations in completing her Santa Ana High School stint here and then and I didn't get to say in, in her bio she's she's been in Santa Ana for 16 years and Genesis how long have you been in Santa Ana um my whole life your whole life Paula how long my whole life. Your whole life. So we have a lot of Santa Ana citizenry here. And so we're going to uh, wish you all very well on the paths you go. I want to see the two of you, I hope, at the end of next year where you can cap off your careers at the high school and the generator to tell us where you're going, perhaps a little bit before the end of the year so you can tell us about some important uh, fundraisers that are going on so we can support that effort. And I'm so glad that you could be here. I mean, I know students just don't get up at these early hours. So yeah. I want to thank you very much for being on Ask a Leader. Take a big congratulations from, I know there's listeners that are just dropping their jaws with all that you've been able to accomplish and where, where you're going is just making our imaginations run wild. So thank you all for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It was very good to have you all. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the show next week. It's my pleasure. We're going to have Leo Chavez on the UCI also, and he's an anthropologist on the UCI faculty, and he's going to talk about these uh, President Obama's evolving immigration policy, and it's big news, and I hope that you all be reaching out in the meantime, before that interview, in your community to see how some are already affected by these changes that are that are being implemented immediate since Obama's announcement last Friday. Next up after us is uh, George had a hat with George Senior Senor Rosales. Uh, thank you for staying tuned. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thank you.